You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Alfred Bove, immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology. Options for patients with advanced heart failure used to be limited to heart transplantation, but ventricular assist devices have rapidly evolved into viable treatment options for these patients. How is the newest generation of continuous flow devices impacting the way we care for patients with advanced heart failure? Our guest is Dr. Leslie Miller, who is the Professor-in-Chief of Integrated Cardiology Programs at Washington Hospital Center and Georgetown University Hospital and School of Medicine, as well as the Walters Chair in Cardiovascular Medicine at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Dr. Bovey. We're going to talk about ventricular assist devices today, but let's start out with a little bit of a background on the public health problem of heart failure. What are your thoughts about the increasing incidence of heart failure that we're expecting over the next 10 or 15 years? Well, it certainly is a growing, people have used the term epidemic, but it's a result of all the success with acute heart attack intervention, the internal defibrillators, improved care, and so patients that otherwise might have died earlier related to their heart failure are now surviving and developing what is a progressive and eventually refractory form of the disease that really takes an enormous toll both in the patient and the healthcare economy. There are more hospital days spent now for the care of heart failure patients than any other diagnosis. And so it is a problem in the advanced phase that's becoming a very big healthcare problem. Okay, and so with the patients that we're talking about, usually the New York Heart Association Class 4 patient, what do you usually tell those patients in terms of their prognosis with just medical therapy? The data would say that across the board, the average survival from the time of diagnosis at five years is only 40%, and that's regardless of the type or etiology of your heart failure. But in its most advanced phase in several recent studies, uh, the mortality may be as high as 80% at one year. So it's trying to offer an alternative therapy to patients before they get into this most advanced phase because while heart transplantation remains the best therapeutic option we have, it serves only 2,000 of the estimated 150,000 patients who have advanced heart failure. And I think, you know, we've all been excited about heart transplant for the last 25 years or so, but I think the numbers you just mentioned are pretty sobering. You know, 150,000 people who could be eligible and 2,000 transplants a year because of the, of the limited donor pool. So we look at other options, and mechanical assist devices started to show up, I guess, in the 90s as an alternative to transplant or at least to hold patients over. At this point in time, what is the current status of using mechanical assist devices? Let's talk about bridge to transplant first. When would you pick a patient for use of a mechanical assist device? Well, these devices provide a complete support of the circulation. So this is initially designed for patients who were in refractory heart failure or shock and were applied in the sickest of the sick patients. And as you intimated, uh, it was largely for patients who were already on a heart transplant waiting list And that was really the laboratory that showed us the problems that had to be confronted and the benefits of this form of therapy. The bridge to transplant experience was so encouraging over time, and particularly with the new generation of pumps, that there's been a very uh, growing interest in applying it in the 
really the largest cohort uh, at risk for heart failure, and that is as an alternative are those patients typically over the age of 65. Heart failure is a very age-related disease, and we certainly know that maybe as much as 10% of patients over the age of 65 will develop heart failure. And so when transplantation becomes a limited, if not a zero option, we really needed to have a technology that could be successful there. And it has really been shown now that the new devices can provide a highly significant improvement in survival, quality of life, functional capacity, and a reduction in adverse events. So it's a technology that is really coming front and center now as a mainstream therapeutic option. So when the first LVADs appeared, the engineers and I guess the physiologists and uh, the medical people thought that it had to be a pulsatile pump, and so we developed a pulsatile pump. And I can remember listening to patients with this device, you know, with a lot of very strange noises inside of their chest. And then came along an axial continuous flow pump. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between these two? You're absolutely right that the original concept of all of our understanding of circulatory physiology is that critical organs like the brain, the kidney, and so forth required pulsatile blood flow. When the uh, design engineers spoke with several people in the field and said, what does the new generation need to look like? They said, well, it has to be much, much smaller, and it has to have this and this, and they just said, we can't make a pulsatile design pump as small as you'd like it to be. And so they began to experiment with the concept of continuous flow. And they developed a pump that was one-seventh the size of the original pulsatile pumps and implanted it in calves and found that their growth and development was completely normal. And as a result, these pumps were now into clinical trials. In fact, the organ function was slightly superior to what we saw with pulsatile uh, flow. So it's debunked one of the major tenets of our understanding of circuitry physiology that the body does not need pulsatile flow. It's really related to mean flow. So these pumps draw blood from the ventricle on a continuous basis, and it goes through the only single moving part as a rotor inside of a housing that then can propel the blood back into the circulation. It's uh, somewhat bewildering when you're seeing these patients in the outpatient setting initially and that they look very healthy and well, and yet there are no palpable pulses, very difficult to measure blood pressure, and there are no heart sounds. So it's been quite an evolution in our uh, management of care of these patients, but clearly this technology is as good, if not better, than what we have with pulsatile pumps. And I think we saw some very interesting data presented at the American Heart Meeting in November of this past year on the HeartMate 2, comparing it to a cyclic pump. Can you tell us a little bit about the outcome of that study? It follows on a trial in which the pump was compared in bridge to transplant experience. And again, it showed highly significant superiority. And this trial was now in this so-called destination therapy, which is a term we've applied to patients who have this as a definitive long-term alternative to heart transplantation. The trial was randomized between the previous pulsatile pump and the new continuous flow pump, and it showed clearly, again, very superior outcome with the continuous flow design in this now so-called destination therapy population. And this is really where most physicians are seeing the majority of patients with heart failure, and I think it really makes the case that with the reduction in adverse events and the really significant improvement in functional capacity for these patients that uh, it has to now be seen as a major breakthrough in the treatment of patients with advanced heart failure. 
Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alfred Beauvais. Our guest is Dr. Leslie Miller, who is the professor in chief of the Integrated Cardiology Programs at Washington Hospital Center and Georgetown University Hospital and School of Medicine, as well as the Walters Chair in Cardiovascular Medicine at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. We're discussing the rapid evolution of ventricular assist devices. So, less now we are seeing smaller, yet even smaller assist devices than the HeartMate 2. And I think we're just getting used to HeartMate 2. And here comes some engineers with even smaller devices. So, for example, the one that we call Circulite. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that one? It's quite small. It's quite interesting. There is a development of pumps that would be similar in implantation to a pacemaker, if you will. It would access the subclavian artery and vein and insert a cannula that would go transeptal and so drain blood from the left atrium and a return line uh, in the subclavian artery that would provide as much as three and a half liters of blood flow with a very simple uh, implant technique. And this is thought to be able to be utilized in patients well before they're a class four, that if they're making three to four liters of blood flow and have a limited uh, functional capacity, that this would really essentially normalize their systemic circulation and hopefully afford a great deal of improvement. And this pump is uh, in clinical trial in Europe, and people are quite anxious to see that this concept of what is the least amount of flow needed to really make a clinical difference in patients. And I think that it depends on whether this is successful, this will be applied in class three heart failure and hopefully have a significant impact on all of these patients. Because as we've suggested, patients are getting more and more progressively refractory to oral medications and an increasing population. And we really need to find cost-effective strategies that we think will make a difference in these patients. So, Les, if you manage a patient with a ventricular assist device, what are you looking for in terms of complications? Well, it's interesting that these patients, because it's a single moving part in a very small clearance of the housing where this pump sits, we have used anticoagulation. But I would tell you that we are now recommending anticoagulation levels that are well below what we do for atrial fibrillation or a prosthetic valve. So, while they are taking warfarin, and an aspirin, we think that the risk of bleeding is going down substantially. Similarly, the risk of stroke is there in, in this technology, but it really bespeaks the underlying risk in this advanced heart failure population from atrial fib or atherosclerotic disease. And I think those are the two. The infection problem in the long term has seemingly been really dramatically reduced with the new very small drive lines and, and the things that we've been able to do. So those are the three major things that we address with patients and following them long-term, but these pumps have a durability now estimated between five and 10 years free of device-related dysfunction. So this is what's going to make the outcome with these devices so good that there really isn't a problem with the pump per se, and that people just get healthier and stronger, and I think we're going to see the outcomes get even better with time. There is a real movement that I think is important to highlight, and that is that we've understood that these pumps can really resurrect almost these patients with really advanced heart failure and shock to now clearly a class four, but the NIH is about to award a trial that will compare medical therapy today to these mechanical assist devices 
and the goal is survival, functional capacity, quality of life at two years. So we're really moving this pendulum to say that the length of stay, the recovery from the procedure, and the overall outcomes are better and better with each less severe stage of heart failure. And there's clearly a a level of heart failure for which medical therapy is quite satisfactory. But we've learned that when a patient is on optimal medical therapy and is hospitalized for volume overload, their mortality may be as high as 35% at one year. And, and those are the some of the triggers that we're now advocating for physicians to think about when their patient has been hospitalized on good medical therapy, that their prognosis is altered perhaps with that admission more than anything else. You mentioned auscultation because it's quite interesting to listen to a patient with an axial pump. Tell us about measuring blood pressure with a sphygma manometer. Well, it's very interesting because we've learned this over the last year or two that we interpreted hearing Karatkov sounds, which are not terribly audible, using a regular stethoscope and blood pressure cuff as being the systolic pressure. But when you look at this and measure it with arterial lines and understand that this is really minimally pulsatile blood flow, that absolutely represents their mean arterial pressure. And so all patients are now monitored with a Doppler in which we can get a very careful definition of the mean arterial pressure, and that will really help us control blood pressure and minimize the risk of stroke or bleeding and those kinds of things. But it's been, as I said, it's been a tremendous evolution in our understanding of how to care for these patients because the devices are quite silent. In operation, there's no valves. They don't have carotid pulses. They don't have easily defined uh, blood pressure. Although when someone's used to using a Doppler, these patients are wonderful to care for because they feel so well. So the target really is the mean blood pressure, not the uh, systolic or diastolic blood pressure. So I've seen some people uh, trying to get the uh, mean blood pressure up to 110 or so, and that's not the right target here. No, it's absolutely. And we're really trying to disseminate that information because more and more physicians are going to be seeing these patients in their office. And I think everybody wants to do a good job. And there are only a few nuances to understanding their management and care. But that's the absolute is that they really need a Doppler probe to listen to when they first hear it and that that first sound represents the mean pressure and that the target would be probably 80 to 85 at the highest to to maintain these patients. But the pumps will flow six or seven liters. They have excellent flow. And in fact, while they used to be managed with concerns of how low their blood pressure was, now we're with this flow uh, augmentation and so forth, we're really watching how many patients need antihypertensive medication. We've been talking with Dr. Leslie Miller about the rapid evolution of ventricular assist devices. Dr. Miller, thanks for being our guest. My pleasure. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.